let's uh, read together Luke chapter 16, and we're going to read from the verse 19. Luke 16 and verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abram's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. Seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they that would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abram saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Amen. We know God will bless the public reading of his word. Let's unite together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity to meet in thy house and in thy wonderful providence, Lord, to have brought us together. And we thank you, Lord, that you know every one of us. You know every thought in our mind. There's not a thing about us, Lord, that is hidden. And we thank you despite the darkness, you still love us and you long to save us and have every one of us in heaven with yourself. I pray, Lord, for the help of the Holy Spirit tonight. I pray, Lord, for the anointing of thy Spirit upon this gathering. I take authority in your name over every darkness, every demonic entity that would seek to interfere, to blind, to hold. I take authority over all darkness, over people's minds and hearts. And I pray, Lord, that your anointing would be in this place. I give myself wholly to you, and I pray that you will cleanse and sanctify me. And I thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing here and all that you're going to do. I give you praise tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. And just before we look at God's word, I want to encourage you to continue to pray. I know some people perhaps can't get to the prayer meetings because of commitments, but I want you to pray and to keep praying and to spend time with God alone in your home, to come if you can. You say, well, Alan, how, how should I pray to really help in, in what, what God is doing here? 
The first thing you have to do is you have to pray about yourself. That's the first thing. You see, sometimes people come to prayer meetings, they hear something's happening, and they come along. Some come as sightseers. Some people come because they have an agenda of what they want to do. Sometimes people come because they want to hear their own voices. <laughs> they want to pray so that they're heard. But what you need to do is to come and say, Lord, speak to me. Search me, O God. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. That's so important. That you ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, is there anything in my life that is grieving the Holy Spirit? Anything about my life? About relationships? About my tongue? About my finances? About unforgiveness? Bitterness? Resentments? Loads of things. Holy Spirit, please speak to me. And if you ask the Lord, just give him time. He'll speak. He'll speak. If you pray the right prayers, God will hear you. So I want you to do that and to come along to the prayer meeting. But the Bible says, be ready to hear and slow to speak and let God come and work in your heart and pray as his spirit leads you and cry out to God for more of the Holy Spirit. During the great revival in Wales, when Evan Roberts was the primary instrument used, he used to get into the pulpit. He wasn't a preacher, but he was an exhorter. He exhorted and encouraged the people. And Evan Roberts used to get in and he would say to the people, we're going to pray now, Lord, send the Holy Spirit. They would all pray, Lord, send the Holy Spirit. And then he would say, send the Holy Spirit more powerfully. And they would all pray, Lord, send the Holy Spirit more powerfully. And then he'd say, Lord, send the Holy Spirit more powerfully now. And they would pray that. And wonderful things happened in Wales as the Holy Spirit came. I know it's a wee bit funny. I was coming tonight there, coming around the church. It was like the magic roundabout going round. Every car is going round. But in Wales, whenever the move of God came, Evan Roberts, the preacher, had to walk over the people's shoulders to get to the pulpit. <laughs> That's how many people were in. So we haven't got there yet. I haven't got there yet. But when God comes uh, and God works, it's very real. And nobody needs to advertise that God's at work because everybody knows. So I trust that you'll take that to heart, dear child of God. Salvation, the work of the Spirit, the movings of God start in us, that we're right. And then God can flow through us. We're going to turn together to Luke chapter 16. And tonight it's a very solemn message, as I'm sure you're familiar with from what we have read already. And so I want to speak to you tonight on God's hell. God's hell. You see, friends, very often people assume, and caricatures of the devil picture it as a, 
a little fortified place where he's sitting with a black fork or with a red fork and where he's sitting with little horns and a lot of people like to think of it as a bit of a joke. We're an educated people now. We don't believe in anything like that because after all, we have, you know, been through schooling and, you know, we're clever. We're, we're economically, uh, you know, free to do what we like. We're, a, we're an advanced people. That's what we're told. And that's, that's an old strategy of the Puritans and of days gone by when people didn't know anything. They were, they were ignoramuses, and so they, they believed in this thing called hell. So, I mean, it's ridiculous. I would like to point out to you the person who believed in hell was none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ talked more about hell than he did about heaven. In fact, he gave us quite a few details about this place and about what it's like. You see, friends, first of all, people have a kind of an idea that hell belongs to the devil. It's his little abode. Well, I want to tell you tonight that the devil is not in hell. Far from it. The devil is around the earth, and the Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air. And his domain is primarily in what we call the second heaven. And he has a kingdom, and that kingdom is very strategic in that we have different entities under him that rule certain regions, and under them, then there are further, like, uh, you know, little pawns, little soldiers under him. It's, it's literally a military, a military kingdom with a very clear agenda, and it's much more interactive with us than any of us realize. Paul the Apostle said in chapter 6 of Ephesians, we wrestle close combat, not against people, but against entities, personalities who don't have bodies. That's what Paul said. And once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the first things that you'll very automatically catch on is that my battle is with an unseen enemy, and it's real. It's real. And once you enter into holiness or the spirit-filled life, one of the first lessons you'll learn as a Christian is that I have been introduced to spiritual warfare. And if you're into holiness, but you're not into warfare, then your holiness is not holiness. Because I meet a lot of people and they talk about holiness and it's about skirts and hats and Bibles and they know nothing about wrestling with the devil. It's false holiness. It's not from God. It's just Phariseeism. Just religion. That's all it is. Many people are bound by it. Many people. But I want to tell you that this place 
does not belong to Satan. It belongs to God. The Bible tells us in Matthew 25 and 41 that the devil was prepared, it was designed, its foundations, its bar, bars, its caverns, its fire, everything in it was designed, built by Almighty God. And the Bible says that place was built for the devil and for his angels. It was never designed for the souls of men. But as we'll see, that that is what happens. The souls of men do go to hell. It's a prepared place for originally a prepared entity, the devil and his angels. But when sin entered the human race and men and women chose to defy God and to live in freedom from God and to disobey and disregard the law of God, then man is an enemy of his creator. But you and I know from our land that if you break the law, there are consequences. If you're speeding, the police will stop you. You could ultimately end end up before the judge, and there you will be punished. The concept is already all around us. One of the things that amazes me as a Christian is that solicitors and barristers are not Christians. It sometimes astonishes me that they work at law and they have no comprehension that they themselves have broke the law of God and therefore there are consequences because they understand that. You see, the wages of sin is death. But I want to tell you about this place first of all. It is literal. It is literal. It is not a figment of imagination. It is not some ethereal place that just is, you know, thoughts floating about. No, no, no. This is as literal as this seat, this church. It's literal. For many years, I was an evangelist after I left Bible college, came back to this church, and then got married. For years, I conducted evangelistic missions, and I was very pleased when people came to the Lord. But about 20-odd years ago, I conducted a mission in which God wonderfully worked. And many people came to the Lord, and I attributed that to the praying of the people, certainly not to the preaching. But God was pleased to work. But as a result of that mission, a lady at the very end made a a profession of salvation. I remember praying with her along with the leader of the mission, and when we prayed, she began to choke. And the more we prayed, the more she choked. She put her hands around her neck, and she fell on the floor. And eventually, whenever we stopped praying, then she stopped choking. When we started praying, she started choking. And I thought, well, if I keep praying, I'll kill this woman. So I better stop praying. I realized I was out of my depth, I didn't know what to do. 
And I was very fortunate that I knew a man who had dealt with situations like that, so he kindly came along, and we went to a home outside Balamina to pray with this woman. Now, I was the evangelist that had just led all these people to the Lord, but I saw things that day that I'll never, I'll never ever forget. Because when that man began to pray with that woman, she changed quite considerably. Her face became contorted like a wild animal. And she jumped out of that seat and came up. And he took authority over that dark, dark demonic spirit that was in her. And I remember the words that she said to this day. She said, not her, but the spirit in her rose up and came up into the face of that man and said, how dare you, a mortal, speak to me, a prince of darkness. Let me tell you, when that was happening, I was walking behind this man. I stayed behind him. But I was praying, oh God, put your blood on me. I wasn't comfortable. And friends, it shook me to my foundation. Because for the next few days, what really permeated my DNA and went into the core of my, of my very personality was, this thing's real. Hell is real. These entities do exist. I have saw them in action. There was me, an evangelist, preaching the stories of Jesus. But you know, an awful lot of it can just be theory. But let me tell you, my dear friends, after 20 years now of praying with people like that, I want to tell you the devil's real. I want to tell you hell is a literal place. It's a literal place. Not only is it literal, it is large. It's a large place. The Bible says, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Many. Not a few. Many. The Bible says in Proverbs 27 and 10, hell and destruction are never full. Hell's never full. There's always more people going into it. You see, friends, it is located beneath I'm not here to say exactly where I know hell to be because I don't know. All I know is that it's literal and it's real. I know that. But I'm heavily influenced by a number of stories I have read and texts in the Bible that lead me to believe, and I could be wrong, but lead me to believe that it is the center of this earth. And that there are portals. That is my belief. Now, I could be wrong, but it's my belief presently until I'm further educated. 
There are portals around the earth. What I mean by a portal is there are openings. And those openings are located on different places of the earth so that when the ungodly die and their body then is brought to the mortuary or wherever, their spirit, their soul, leaves their body at the point of death. And if they're not in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, not forgiven, not right with God, then their spirit and soul are brought to that portal and they enter through that portal to the center of the earth where there are various caverns, locations, and locking stations for particular people according to how they behaved on earth. Jesus talked about Capernaum and different cities. He said it would be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than it would be for you on the day of judgment. In other words, there are different places, locations within it where people are specifically put in accordance to the crimes committed here on earth. In other words, God is absolutely just. It is located. The Bible says in its largeness that hell opens her mouth to receive them at their coming. So if there's an abundance of souls coming to hell, she has the ability to open her mouth and receive them all simultaneously at their coming. You see, friends, it has a hunger and a lust for more. Hell's never satisfied. Just like death itself, never satisfied, never full, always more. Always more. Many years ago, I remember an evangelist. He was a minister. I was in Bible college, and the minister came along, and he told us that he had been a faith mission pilgrim, this is many years ago. And he came and he had a campaign in County Down. And whenever him and the other young pilgrim were preaching the gospel in that location, they had set up a little uh, mission uh, uh, hall and they were inviting people to come. And the minister, the local minister, got up and he told his people to have nothing to do with that mission that they were baptized and they had been ordained into the church and confirmed and everything that was needed to get them to heaven was done and this was a load of nonsense and to stay away from it. And I remember that minister told us that we heard after the mission was over that this man got up during the night and he had felt unwell and his wife come down and she said what's wrong he said I had an awful dream he said I dreamt I was in hell and the congregation were hunting me through it and he dropped dead clergy can go to hell did you hear that clergy can go to hell from psalm singing to weeping and wailing. When I was a young lad, I remember in Woolworths, many of the older folk might remember Woolworths, or Wellworths rather, 
in Dungannon. And I was a wee nipper going in, and all these ladies were filling their trolleys and pushing it around. And I remember this big police constable come in. I was only six or seven. And he came in, and he stood, and he put his head back like that, and I watched the big peak going up. In the, and he just opened his mouth, and he said, Bomb scare! Well, I never saw the likes of it. There was Vita bread and buns and... You call it, it was kicked up and down the aisle. Women were pushing and aerial and fairy liquid all flying everywhere they were. I stood in amazement watching this. And before I knew it, I got caught by the hand and I was whisked out and away across the road and we were all pulled out. People abandoned, just, it was chaos. We all went out to the far side of Dungannon. They put up a cordon and you'll be amazed at this. There wasn't one woman that said, wasn't that a terrible policeman? I almost had paid for my bread, and I was just almost out of the shop, and I had all that done, and that terrible bad man came in, and he just upset everything for me. Not one person. But yet so often people will say, there's no call for that. There's no call for people preaching about hell and scaring people. That's not a good, it's not good. You need to just tell them that God loves them and that God will, will look after them and they're safe and secure. You shouldn't be frightening them. No, we were grateful to the policeman. Because he was there to save us. He was there to rescue us. He was there to warn us. And that's all I'm doing tonight. That's all I'm doing. And if that policeman had not done what he was told to do, my friends, and there had been a bomb, that man would have been taken for manslaughter. And if God calls us to preach the gospel and to warn people about this terrible place and we won't do it for fear, God will hold us accountable at his bar. There is present pain in this place. You see, friends, the Bible says when this rich man died and was buried... He looked up. I don't think he ever looked up on earth. I don't get the feeling that he looked up on earth. I don't get the feeling that he really, during his lifetime, had much interest in looking to see what God thought or hearing anything about God. I think he was absorbed with money. I think he was absorbed with life and its pleasures and all the joys of life. I think that's the kind of man he was. And if anybody said to him about God, I think he had a wee bit of a snigger. I think he probably, if he had met somebody talking about coming to Jerusalem to sacrifice for the sins of our lives and the sins of the nation, I think he would have made a bit of a laugh about it. I think he would have been that kind of a boy. But he's not laughing now. No, he's not laughing now. You see, friends, there's no atheists in hell 
There's no mockers in hell. There's no humanists in hell. Every one of them are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of them believe in the power of the blood of Jesus. Every one of them believes that you need to be born again to get into God's kingdom. Oh, yes, you get a great education after you die. More than you'd ever get on earth. He looked up being in torment. You see, my dear friends, people like to think many of them when you die, it's over. That's it, there they are in the grave, it's gone. Oh, well, it's too bad. And they have people now, they're burying them in plastic bags and baskets and every conceivable thing. You see funerals now. And people get their coffins painted and, and then they go for the funeral and it's a bit of a laugh and they'll have somebody like Elton John playing. All this stuff goes on and that's, that's it all over now. That was, a, that was a great funeral. That was lovely. Oh, that was lovely. That was just like them, you know. All that goes on. You see, when you turn out, we said before, when you turn out the ten lights, when you remove the law of God, when you remove the truth from a people, that's what happens. They go into abject darkness. No idea. No concept of reality. But the Bible says in the book of Revelation 6 and 8, he said, John said, I saw a pale horse called Death. I saw him, he said, and his name was Death. And hell followed after him. Hell followed after him. Oh, yes. They're companions. They operate together, death and hell. And so he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Many years ago, I remember a man in the job where I was working, I remember a man said to me, his name was George. I was trying to explain the gospel to him. I was only about 18 or 19. I wasn't long saved, didn't know very much. And I was saying to him about getting saved. George says to me, Alan, have you lost your burns? He said, we're in hell. He says, did you hear about that man being shot last night? Those people blown up in that bomb. He says, and the cruelty and wickedness. He says, do you not understand we're in hell? I says, George, have you a kitchen? I have. I said, have you taps? Of course I have. What comes out of your taps? Water. I says, George, as long as there's water coming out of that tap, you're not in hell. Because my Bible tells me about a rich man that died, and one of the first things he prayed for was, Lord, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and come and cool my tongue. By a dip, three drip of water, it wasn't much, sure it wasn't. For I am tormented in this flame. See, there's no, there's no water in hell. 
And then you hear these people saying, I was reading about a famous character there the other day, and he said, we don't want the man who started CNN over in America. It's, a, it's pretty like the BBC, just a bundle of lies. But he started it anyway. And he, 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 said, he said, I don't want to be in heaven. It's a perfect place. He said, I want to go to hell, and we're going to have some party. <laughs> well, as far as I know, he's probably there already. But I'm afraid I can't get him up to you tonight. But if I could, I'll tell you one thing. There'll be no party. There's no parties in hell. There's no fun in hell. There's no laughters in hell. It doesn't happen. It's a place of torment. The awakening. My friends, the absence of God. Jesus called it the place of outer darkness. Now, why is it that it's called dark or darkness or outer darkness? Simply because God is not there. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There is nothing of the goodness of God or of the light of God or of the mercy of God or of the kindnesses of God. None of it exists in hell. It doesn't exist. You see, my dear friends, the Bible says of that location where this man went to, he looked up and God providentially let him do it and look up, and he could see, and he could communicate. And the Bible says whenever he asked for water, and he asked for his, his friend to go and see his brother, the Lord said there is a great gulf fixed. Our Roman Catholic neighbors and friends that we love have often been taught, and I had a couple at my home yesterday who were brought up very strictly in the Roman Catholic Church, and they said to me, how could we have been deceived? How could we have been so deceived into believing that if we prayed, our loved ones would, 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 get, out of the, would get out of hell and get into heaven, get out of purgatory, and if we went to the grave and prayed at the grave, how could this have happened? There is a great... Gulf fixed. You can't help your loved one once they've died. You can't pray for them, pay for them, do religion for them, masses for them. It's no use. It's no use. Once we have passed over, that's it, my friend. That is it. That's why the Bible emphatically says on earth, prepare to meet thy God. The absence of God. You see, friends, it goes on not for a year or two, not for a thousand, a million, or even a billion, but for all, all of God's eternity. There is no hope in hell. There's no possibility or a thought that I could get out of this and I could escape and I could have mercy. That doesn't exist. It is a place of utter hopelessness. There is agony in it. When this man arrived, 
what we become aware of is that he had all his faculties that he had on earth. They were all still operative. He could see, he could hear, he could feel, all still operative. The Bible says he cried out, being in torment, have mercy on me. You see, friends, when we die, we leave our body. And many have testified to experiences, both Christian and non-Christian, of when they had near-death experiences that they actually felt themselves leaving their body. I have met many people that have told me of events like that in their life, when they literally looked down and watched the doctors working on them. Because their spirit, the real person, was beginning to evacuate the old tent, beginning to go out. That happens at death. And so those who die seem to suddenly awaken in this place. There doesn't seem to be any transition. There doesn't seem to be any period of a person becoming, you know, conscious of of a traveling, generally speaking, and certainly biblically, there is almost an immediate awakening to the fact that I have gone out of my body, and where am I? Where am I? You have still a spirit body, which is in the form of a physical body, but you've left your body behind on earth. Your body's on a slab, or your body's at the undertaker, but you're alive in your spirit body. And you have suddenly arrived in this place that you, you didn't perhaps even believe existed, and you're there, and, and the overwhelming thought that enters you is fear. Fear. Take a child, my friend, that is terrified of the darkness and amplify it by a million. The Bible says fear bringeth torment because there are entities in hell. There are dark demonic beings that begin to reveal themselves. And people have that awakening and that awareness. I couldn't be here. I didn't believe in it. I don't believe in it. But they pass their arms through their body and there's nobody there. And they recognize, listen, there's something not going on right here. Where's my body? Where am I? And a dark demon around shouts, you're in hell. You're in hell. You say, Alan, you're dramatizing it. Oh, that I could. Oh, that I could awaken men and women. Oh, that I could stir the intellects and hearts of men and women in this country to the fact that there is a literal devil and literal demons and a literal hell where men and women go to who reject God, his law, and his son. Memories. He cried and he asked, send Lazarus, and this is what the Lord said. Remember that thou in thy lifetime. 
That's where we are now. That's where we are. But this guy has moved beyond the planet where we are. He has entered into death now. He has gone into hell now. And there he is. And he's crying from hell. And God says, remember what you did when you were on the earth. Because God knows all about it. I want to tell you, friend, there's not a thought in your mind that God hasn't got a record of. Not a thing. Everything is recorded. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro through the whole earth. He knows us all together. He knows our secret thoughts. He knows our secret sins that nobody else knows. Ah, but he knows, and heaven knows. You can deceive your family. You can deceive the clergy. You can deceive whoever you like. Deceive yourself. But not God. Can't deceive him. My dear friends, there are powerful prayers in hell. You know, I was meditating upon this as I was thinking of the prayer meetings that you've been having up here and people are praying and calling on the Lord. One of the first things this man did when he arrived at hell was he started to pray. No record of him praying on earth. Everybody learns to pray eventually. (laughs) All the old atheists, they're all going to become great prayers, a whole lot of them. You know that boy that was in the wheelchair and said that eternity had a whole fairy tale? Forget his name now. He was all twisted up. He had a cleverest man in Cambridge. Wasn't that clever? Because my Bible tells me the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Fool. (laughs) Powerful prayers. The first prayer he prayed was, Lord, send water. Just give me just a drip of water. And the Lord said, no. No. Because God doesn't answer prayer in hell. He only answers it on earth. And I want to encourage you, do your praying on earth. Do your praying on earth. I want you to notice about the prayer that he then prayed very quickly. He said, I have five brethren... And I want him to go, this guy, I want him to go to earth and I want him to go and tell my five brothers. Isn't it interesting that he couldn't go? Well, he knew he couldn't. God wasn't letting him. But he thought maybe God would let the other guy go. But God said, no, that wasn't going to happen. But I want you to notice that he had this interest in the five brothers. And he said, I want him to go to my five brothers who stood at my grave And had a wee drink and a bit of a laugh and talked about how wealthy I was and probably had an interest in my estate to see where the money would go for they say where there's a will, there's a relative. And so all those things are being discussed on earth, but while the five brothers are discussing the estate and talking about the money and having a bit of a laugh and going on with life, this guy's in hell. He's had a lovely burial. He is at a wonderful funeral, and everything has been done notched up. But that doesn't matter because you can get the best funeral, but it doesn't matter. You'll be in hell. 
And so he says, send that these five brothers, he said, that they may witness. <laughs> Isn't that funny? They talk about witnessing in hell. That's amazing. An awful lot of Christians don't talk much about it. <laughs> I had a man in my home yesterday I was telling you about. He was a former Roman Catholic. And he said to me, Alan, is such and such a man a Christian? I said, that man's a Christian almost 30 years. He said, he is not. I said, he is. Well, he says, Alan, I was in and out of that man's house for years. And he said, he actually brought me on a holiday. And he said, I never knew he was a Christian. Imagine, imagine being saved years and your neighbor or loved ones or friends come into your house and you make no effort to help them. And you don't warn them, you don't give them a tract, you don't give them a CD, you don't talk to them about their soul. Imagine! Imagine! And then you say you believe the Bible. And you see, you believe Jesus Christ. <laughs> they say in hell, please witness. My friend, your minister or pastor mightn't bother. Many of them do, but there's an odd one mightn't bother. But I want to tell you tonight, in hell, they want you to witness. Remember that when you get into your car tomorrow morning. Oh, you say, Alan, it's not easy to talk. Not easy to talk about the Lord. I mean, you could talk about the weather, couldn't you? Talk about farm, talk about cattle, talk about money, talk about anything. I mean, there's nothing wrong with your tongue. Not a thing. Oh, I'm shy. No, just be honest. You're ashamed of the Lord. Just be honest. You're ashamed of the Lord. Or maybe your life's not right. Maybe you're doing that many things in your own life that you couldn't open your mouth for the recusia. I remember a minister standing when I was a Bible college student and he came in and he, he stood with tears in his eyes. He says, I've one son and I've prayed for him. He was in his 30s at that stage. He said, I've prayed for him all my life. And I've took him to the side and said, son, I'd love you to become a Christian. He says, daddy, I, would, I know that you're the real thing, but daddy, listen, I'm in the car business. <laughs> and daddy, whenever they come in to our place to buy and sell at cars, he says, the ones that are the most crooked, the ones that are most dishonest, he says, they're the biggest Bibles in the dash. No testimony, you see. No testimony. Remember you and I, dear friends, we'll not get away with that. We have to go to the judgment seat. Not hell, but the judgment seat. And that'll all come up. How you've lived. How you treated people. How you treated your husband or your wife. How you treated your children. <laughs> all come up. He said, no. Abram saith unto them, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. This is the conversation in hell. Here's what they didn't say. They have the Quran. 
Let them read it. Of all the different magical books of the Hindus, let them read them. No. No, that wasn't mentioned in hell. They have Moses and the prophets. They have the Bible. They have the word of God. Let them hear it. Your Bible. Your Bible. If you arrive in hell, I hope and trust you don't. But if you do, my dear friend, that book will condemn you. Sat in your home. Lay at your bedside. Aye, but finally, verse 30. He said, Nay, Father Abraham. But if one went on to them from the dead, they will go to church. You've been told that'll get you to heaven. You go to church. Nay, Father Abraham, if somebody goes back and preach, they'll all start living really good lives and they'll try and keep the commandments and they'll be nice to their neighbors and they'll be lovely people and they'll just live a great life. Did he say that? No, he didn't. What did he say? Nay, Father Abraham, if one go unto them from the dead, they will repent. I say the big key, they know it in hell. Repentance. Repentance. My dear friends, if I ended there, it would be a terrible story. But I want to tell you now as I close that there's one man, one person, who knew all about this place for he helped design, frame, and make it. And I want to tell you that he loves all humanity. Every man and woman and child on the earth, he loves them all and he longs to rescue them. He longs to save them. For Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And on that cross of Calvary when he died, God took the judgment and the wrath of hell and he poured it into the soul of Jesus and Jesus became our sin bearer. He bore our sin in his own body on the tree and when he had borne all God's wrath and judgment for sin, he cried, it is finished. I have paid the price in full. Now you can be forgiven through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but through me. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ loves you. I want to tell you that he died on the cross for you to save you and to come and live inside you and ultimately to take you to the place where his Father is in heaven, where he would give you mansion, where he would give you glory, where he would give you abiding presence and his love for all eternity, such as the grandeur of his love and mercy and kindness. You say, Alan, you believe that with all my heart. You believe you're going to heaven with all my heart. My heart has already been there many times. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. I know he's living there. I feel him. He talks to me. I talk to him. Oh, I know he's there. And I want all my fellow countrymen in North and South of Ireland to hear about him. 
and to know that he lives and he can heal and deliver and set men and women free and bring them into the joy of salvation. Sir Walter Scott, the great novelist, said as he was dying, Until this moment, I thought there was neither God nor hell. Now I know and feel that there are both. And I am doomed to perdition by the judgment of God. One day in a major city, a police officer was standing. A young man walked down past him and said, Officer, I'm out for the night. Can you tell me where the nightclub gets hell, hell's gate is? Oh, yes, he says, I can tell you where hell's gate is. He said, if you walk down that street and turn round to the left, you'll see a sign called Calvary Church. If you take left, once you go past Calvary, you'll be at hell's gate. My friend, once you pass Calvary, you will be at hell's gate. What must I do, Alan? You must repent and turn from your sin and cry to him for mercy. The Bible says it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, Alan, you've shook me up tonight. I wish to God I could shake you more. I trust that the Holy Spirit has shook you up. And I trust that in your heart as you sit here tonight, you say, Alan, I want to come to Jesus, not simply because I'm frightened, but simply because I want to follow him. And I know that the life I would live would destroy me, but I need God in my life. I need Jesus, and I want to serve him. Not out of fear, but because I want him. He loves me, and I want to love him.